Welcome to Eurodollar University with Jeff Snyder. My name is Emil Kalinowski. We're going to be talking about term premiums and how the mainstream economic orthodoxy uses them to explain a conundrum and how they tie themselves into knots when these term premiums go negative. It's very strange. Jeff, I need your help on this introduction. Tell people what does the mainstream say term premiums are? And then we're going to explain when they go negative. That means it's just strange and backward stuff. Well, let's think of a very, 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 very simple example. Um, Irving Fisher, going back a century, said, but long-term bond yields are growth and inflation expectations traded in marketplace. And that makes sense. It's been, it's been validated time and time again. That's how even economists think of long-term bond yields because that's what they are. The problem runs, we run into is we can't go into a yield and say, what's growth, what's inflation, what's different pieces. So we have to sort of kind of think about them differently. And the way economists try to deconstruct them is through their own uh, stochastic quantitative techniques, econometrics, things like that. So they try to decompose a bond yield into its constituent parts, but they don't go from the bond yield and then extract other information. They start with other assumptions and then compare it to the bond yield. And what's left over is this other thing called term and premium. So it's a very simple example. Let's assume you're the Federal Reserve or you work at the Federal Reserve and you think growth and inflation expectations over the long run adds up to 5%. Nice even number, 5%. And then you look at the 10-year U.S. Treasury and it's trading at five and a half percent. And you think, well, crap, that doesn't match. I said it's five percent. My models say it's five percent. I'm the Fed, but the long-term bond yield is five and a half. There's this, this remainder here. There's half a basis or 50 basis points of remainder. What, what could that be? So essentially, what the term premium is, is nothing more than a remainder that has been redressed as something important. So we'll just We'll just tell ourselves that this remainder left over after our calculation is what the market demands for holding longer dated paper. So it's a 10-year treasury bond. Maybe it says growth and inflation. It agrees with us growth and inflation must be 5%, but it's charging an extra 50 basis points to the market because it's holding 10 years worth of risk rather than say five years or something else that would be closer to the Federal Reserve's calculation for growth and inflation. So we're starting from the premise that we're right. Growth and inflation expectations must be 5% because I calculated them with really sophisticated models, with really sophisticated math that looks very objective-y. It looks very scientific-y. And so my 5% calculation must be right. And if it doesn't match the market, then there's something else going on in the market. There's this term premium, this remainder We'll think of it this other way because otherwise we'll have to lead us to some uncomfortable questions. So does Irving Fisher say there's no such thing as holding the premium, the benefit, the yield for holding for a longer term? Or is that baked into the growth return and inflation return? If you hold it for a longer time period, then you would get more growth and inflation. So it's already intrinsically, inherently part of those two variables? What would he say? You would think so, right? <laughs> because so that, growth and inflation, Yeah. sorry, Emil, growth and inflation, as we talk about with inversion, obviously is not a static concept. It moves through time. And we not only does it move through time, 
it also gets reevaluated at different time periods. So you've got multiple dimensions and to the uh, again, the fatal conceit of econometrics is that it can distill everything down to sort something like a sing- single number. Now it's not exactly what goes on here, but in a lot of ways it is. So it's it's thinking that okay, we can quantify what growth and inflation expectations should be according to our assumptions and comparing our assumptions of what we think growth and expect growth and inflation expectations should be to what the market is trading and then coming up with some way to explain the remainder between those two things. Okay. Now here's the twist, ladies and gentlemen. What happens if the bond yield is below what the model says? Well, well then it's got to be a negative term premium. What? No one better than Ben Bernanke will explain. And if you have any problems with him, remember, he wrote two books. So he knows what he's talking about. Quote, that low, even negative term premiums, that is consistent with the fact that in a world of low inflation and accommodative monetary policy, as we have today, holding longer term bonds may actually reduce the overall risk of investors' portfolios. You know, I have to think about what he's saying, Jeff. You tell us what he's saying. I'm, I, think, I think he kind of slipped into Alan Greenspan mode there. Because hmm. if you really think about what he's saying, it makes absolutely no sense. And I think he knows it um, because, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Like, don't bonds generally reduce overall risk of yeah. investor portfolios? And then I guess sometimes more? But not only that, Emil, think about what he's saying. Monetary policy is good. It's yeah, accommodative yes, yes. and inflation is low. This is the best you could possibly ask for out of central bank policy and conditions. Why the hell would you need longer dated paper Perfect. to de-risk your yes. portfolio? It does not make sense. And I think mm. I think what Ben Bernanke's doing here is Greenspan speak, Fed speak, just trying to conflate the it kind of sounds, you know, you know it sounds too complicated. I'm not going to think too much about it. Because it really doesn't make much sense. And I think if you got Ben Bernanke standing in front of you and made him be honest about it, I think he would say the same thing. Though I think in public, without any applied pressure or any any, uh, bamboo shoots under his fingernails, I think he would continue to obfuscate the truth here. And let's, let's, you know, the way it's exactly this. The Fed calculates growth and inflation using the sophisticated models. And there's a couple different versions. They use these sophisticated models. They calculate growth and inflation expectations. They say it's 5%, but suddenly the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield is 4.5%. How do we make sense of that? Because we're, we're the Fed. Growth and inflation expectations are 5 The yield is less than 5 Now we have a negative remainder. We have a negative term premium, which doesn't actually make sense. At least it doesn't make sense from that perspective. It's amazing here, just that quote I read again by Ben Bernanke, in a world of low inflation and accommodative monetary policy, they have to put the central bank in the center. It's because of us, these things are happening. It reminds me of that quote by James Bullard, where he's talking about the inversion and how it's not too important. And quote, he said, the... Instead, market yields actually reflect some confidence the central bank will eventually lower price pressures. I said, quote, he didn't say that quote by quote, but that was his message. It's because of the central bank, because we're central. 
That's why. Okay. It's, it's remarkable how they keep putting them. So it's just the worldview. We've talked about it. Okay, Jeff, you've got a couple of graphs in this article, which I didn't tell the audience where they can find it, which we're going to do right now. Jeff, the article is called More Than Model Error. Economists use term premia to cover for their grave fundamental mistakes. Jeff, where can they find this article? Right now, it's at www.marketsinsiderpro.com. And if you sign up there, it'll be delivered to your inbox free of charge for the time being. Eventually, it will be a subscription-based service. But for now, you can check it out, see what's going on, read the articles. You also get Steve N. Meter's Market uh, Market Timer Pro. You get Tracy Shukart's Oil and Gas Report. Um, Lots of good stuff there. Like I said, for the time being, free of charge including some of these articles, as, as well as a daily uh, macro and monetary examination, too. Jeff, where else can the audience go to get more monetary sugar? Get more monetary sugar. Is it is the answer the Fed or the ECB? Because I, I don't think that's the right answer. No, it's Eurodollar.university. What can they get from your... Yes. Tell what <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to confuse people and think we're actually advertising monetary <laughs> sugar because I'm not sure I know what that is either. We are selling memberships, exclusive videos, exclusive contents. Today we're going to do our first quant- uh, question and answer session for members only. You can check it out at eurodollar.university. I think it's eurodollar.university back backslash members. But if not, just go to the website, find out uh, what's there and what's available for you. Um, and we want to thank a sincere, huge thank you to all the members who have signed up, well over 100 of them so far. We're going to produce as much content as we possibly can for you guys. And hopefully uh, you guys are liking what we're doing. We did a deep dive into Paul Volcker, Bank Reserves. We did an even deeper dive into securities, lending and collateral. There's more of that stuff that we have planned. We also did, uh, we've dug out an old presentation from last year on ghost money. That's available now. Check, get your memberships at eurodollar.university uh, for all the exclusive content we got there. Jeff, we've got a graph now for the audience, and it shows term premiums calculated by the Fed. There's a couple of models. The one you're showing is the ACM model, and the ACM stands for the three authors, ACM acronym. And Jeff, we're looking at 2013 to mid-2016. So this is eurodollar number three, the global, the regional credit dollar money shortage that took place mostly emerging markets, especially in China. You often say that it began, let's say, when the Chinese currency had its wobble. So March 2014, I like to think of July 1st, 2014, when the dollar took off. But this nominal yield here by the U.S. Treasury peaked in late 2013. So different measures, but definitely a warning And when we look at the red line, the red dashed line, that's the estimated term premia. It's contracting, compressing, and it goes negative in January 2015. Red alert. Yeah. And remember what we're showing you here. The the A, the what is it? ACM Mm -hmm. model. There's also the BSW model, but the ACM model says this is our calculation for growth and inflation expectations. This is what we're seeing. We're comparing it to the market rate at the 10-year maturity, and the red line is the term premium, which is just the remainder between the two. And rather than saying, okay, how are we going to interpret this negative term premium? What it's really saying is that you guys are wrong. The market does not agree with your growth and inflation expectations. 
So instead of a term premium being that gobbledygook that Ben Bernanke tried to sell you at his blog post in 2015, which is written around the time the term premiums went negative for the first time, trying to explain it, what the term pre- a negative term premium is really saying is that the market thinks you've got growth and inflation expectations overstated to a substantial degree. Your models are wrong. You're calculating something that the market isn't seeing. And rather than start by that saying, hey, our theory, our, our ideas, our calculations are being falsified by real market conditions, we're just simply saying, well, there's something quirky about the market rather than something wrong with our models. Next graph, we're moving forward to the next euro dollar crisis, euro dollar number four. We see the July 2016 all the way through the end of 2019, Jeff. Uh, let's see, we had globally synchronized growth that started sometime in 2016. I like to say February. Other people can say the summer or the late autumn, perhaps the election of the orange man and the Republican sweep. Perhaps that's when it really took off. And interestingly enough, again, the same measures, we've got the term, the nominal yields kept rising for a while until October 2018. But I guess term premiums. We're not buying this reflation right from uh, the beginning of January 2017. Anything we should take away from this time period and term premiums? Yeah, Emil, I think what's important is that throughout the entire period that the low and negative term premiums were consistent through the entire period, which was the market basically saying you guys are overstating growth and inflation. And of course, that was it was small. It wasn't huge through you know 2017 and 2018 when it was seemed plausible. But the market said the probabilities of this growth and inflation stuff working out the way you're calculating is is lower than you would like. Then of course we get into the middle of 2018 and then the end of 2018 and into 2019. And what you see is term premiums go really negative, which was simply the market saying, okay, there's no chance that you're right about your calculation. These are not negative term premiums. These are calculating how wrong your how big your error is in your own calculation. Moving forward to the most recent two years, looking from Ju- uh, January 2020 all the way to present day. Notice, ladies and gentlemen, that that red dash line, the term premiums, was already deeply negative before we even hit the pandemic. Already deeply negative. Reflation, the COVID recovery, and then peaking, pausing, right <laughs> I would wonder, Jeff, did you look at this? Is this Fedwire when this term premium peaked or just a week or two oh, be yeah. after? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it's amazing how many things come back to that, those couple days in February of 2020. It's everywhere. So then we have a pause in the inflation. Maybe it'll start up again, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe. But no, May-ish, it starts turning down negative. And more recently, it's a little bit, uh, it came back, but now, well, I guess people can see it on, on the on the chart, right, Jeff? But uh, it, the direction right now is, again, negative and getting more negative, a little bit of a steep fall. Which is, again, the market saying that the Fed's models, the Fed's position, anything derived from the Federal Reserve or mainstream eco- econometric models is overstating growth and inflation potential, at least according to the market. You could always say as James Bullard does, or you know Ben Bernanke or Janet Yellen, that the market's wrong, but the market has yet to be proven wrong. And these term premiums, especially over the last decade or so, have helped us decide or helped us see exactly how much 
these mainstream econometric assumptions. Assumptions are the problem, not the markets. Yeah, markets. Good, Jeff, because you said the market has yet to be proven wrong. And sure, any one market can be wrong or late or early or something like that. You look at multiple independent points of view, and then that's why we've been able to time these inflections for years now, because we're looking at multiple independent points of view. Jeff, any final thoughts or is that it? No, I think, it's, you know, again, term premiums are simply the kind of ridiculous way that economists, as you said, Emil, it all starts with them putting themselves in the middle, which leads to all sorts of problems. Because when you start out with an error, it's garbage in, garbage out all the time. 